Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, October 29th, 2021. I'm John Puthortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So uh, we said that there would be no deal yesterday and there was no deal yesterday. And we've been saying for weeks that we didn't understand the enthusiasm or the uh, certainty expressed by a lot of political advisors, uh, analysts, and the press that there would be a deal and uh, on infrastructure and on the build back better plan since there is no plan now there's something more resembling a plan at least a white house freight document explaining what the white house wants or something but nothing written no tax laws written all of that um and um in an ordinary atmosphere which is say an atmosphere or a more ordinary atmosphere in which we in uh, in previous times when we would say that the that the press was not simply uh, desperately cheerleading for the person, for the Democrat in the White House in the same way that they are now. Um, what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill would have been viewed as one of the greatest political disasters, self-inflicted political wounds uh, of our time. Um, and everybody seemed to move on very qu- quickly from it. Uh, even as it was going on, Nancy Pelosi was going to whip votes. She was going to have a vote. Then she wasn't. Then she was. Then this one said that, and that one said the other thing, and and uh, and 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 so on. Uh, astonishing display of political uh, incompetence, uh, internal divisions uh, in the governing coalition, uh, an out of touch president, a confused. Speaker of the House, uh, a completely absent Senate majority leader. Um, this is the also, sort of thing. Yeah, a lot of BS. I mean, you know, there, I mean, there was there was such a grand fog thrown up yesterday morning about you know being on the verge and having a breakthrough and stories about Biden getting a standing ovation. And uh, what's different this time is, you know, he 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 came down and he said, look, you got to do this. And, you know, it was like so much hype and and right. Dishonesty. So and now I just want to caution people that now <laughs> there was no vote because the progressive caucus in that in in the House uh, refused. He said, look, if you if we're going to vote on the heart, trillion dollar hard infrastructure bill, we're going to vote it down. It's going to happen. We're going to vote it down. So now it's scheduled for next week. What's going to happen between now and next week? I don't understand. The head of the caucus, Pramila Jayapal, basically said, we'll vote for it next week. Well, if she would vote for it next week, why won't she vote for it today? What's going to happen that's different between now and next week? Do they think, do they really think somehow that the very same senators, Manchin and Cinema, who wouldn't, uh, you know who who uh, who who have been sort of controlling uh, the discussion without ever saying that they would support the bill. Uh, they could have said yesterday that they supported the big back the 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 buy back build back big back better bill, and they didn't. Well, we so, should we should yes. establish the state of play okay. as it is at this recording, uh, nine o'clock in the morning on Friday, 
on Friday, uh, uh, whatever this is, the 29th. Um, so progressives are saying, look, we're compromising. We have compromised. We wanted six trillion. We wanted four trillion. We wanted three and a half trillion. We wanted two trillion. Now we're willing to support 1.75 trillion, and we will support this. They said that last night. Jaya Paul and the Progressive Caucus said, "We'll we'll pass this thing," which is a odd considering their behavior all day yesterday. Nevertheless, they said, "We're the compromisers. We just don't want to be fooled again." So what we need from Joe Manchin and and Kristen Cinema, Kirsten Cinema, Kirsten Cinema. Now you've got me plagued by self doubt. Um, Kirsten Cinema is a, is a, some sort of assurance that they're going to pass this thing in the Senate. And in the Senate, we need them to say outright that we support this thing. Now, as we've said a million times, they're playing block for a number of other senators with cold feet. Nevertheless, they want them on the record saying we're going to support this thing. And Joe Manchin and Cinema are not doing that. They're being weirdly coy about it. They're saying. Oh, well, you don't take the president's word for it? That's not good enough? What does that say about you? Weird, curious, huh? Like, why won't they just come out and say they support this compromise bill in in an unambiguous language? I would be leery of that, too, if I was a progressive. Um, Okay, so this doesn't make any... Again, we're back in the world in which everything that everybody is doing doesn't make any sense, and... Therefore, you assume that what they're doing makes sense, but you can't discern the pattern. Sort of like when you're studying calculus and you only know algebra. Something's going on, except maybe not. And once again, I see absolutely no reason to believe that they're going to vote for the bill next week or the infrastructure bill is going to come up next week. We've heard that this is now the third or fourth go-round here where we're being told that something is going to happen in a few days or a couple of hours, or whatever, and it's not. And, and then it doesn't, because the order of battle doesn't change. And remember, there is a new entrant in the confusion, and that is Bernie Sanders, who is urging the House progressives to stand firm to increase the amount of money being spent in the Build Back Better big social spending bill, um, and to hold the feet to the fire, and he could tank the whole thing. He's not saying he'll support it. He's well, not saying it, it's okay with him. And that inconsistency of messaging across all the various competing squabbling coalitions means that the leadership is has still yet to settle on any kind of tone or or consistent message. So I, I was actually struck by what Steny Hoyer said last night. He's like. He sounded like someone who's trapped in a in a deeply uh, unsatisfying, dysfunctional relationship. He was like, "Were we hurt? No, we were more disappointed." I mean, it, it's just it's hilarious to read it if you've been following it as closely as we have. They don't really know what they don't seem to know what they should be feeling about all these mini disasters that have been piling up, and I think that speaks to a lack of discipline uh, more broadly in the party. And and it's notable that. A lot of the political analysts this morning are trying to compare the in, the supposedly ineffective Freedom Caucus uh, actions, in, as we have many times talked about on the podcast, with the super organized, really excellent, you know, progressive caucus, which really knows how to get things done. Um, that seems to me to also be a stretch. We're also being told that the reason that the infrastructure bill did not pass yesterday or wasn't finally brought up for a vote yesterday by Nancy Pelosi, who said in the morning that she would not only bring it up for a vote, but she would hold it open, uh, meaning she would not set a time limit, a three- or two-hour, one-hour time limit on the vote in order 
to make sure that there was a vote cast on it and that everybody had their you know ability to you know sort of whip and talk through okay so that that <clears throat> didn't happen now the progressive caucus <clears throat> and others are saying that the reason that they didn't vote for the bill yesterday or is that the white house didn't ask them to we would have had a victory today if only he meaning the president had asked for it one democratic aide said of biden this according to uh, punchbowl news and uh, Pramila Jayapal said, where is this? Hold on. She literally said the same thing. She said, I told anybody that would listen that we did not have the votes for an infrastructure vote tonight. The president did not ask for a vote today. I just want to be very clear about that. The speaker did, but the president did not. The president said he wants us to pass both bills and that this coming week was going to be critical for that. So, Pelosi wants the infrastructure bill, but Biden doesn't. Biden went to the Hill yesterday morning and said, my presidency is on the line, and then left. And did he give the impression that he didn't care whether infrastructure passed or it didn't pass? Some of this is actually hard to, like, if you're listening to me, maybe you can't even sort through the you know, adjectives and nouns I'm using here between infrastructure and build back better and all that. None of this makes any sense. <clears throat> Was he asking them to vote for infrastructure or not? Clearly, people said Biden didn't ask them to cast this vote yesterday. So what happened yesterday? What happened yesterday is this is a goat rodeo. This is a party in complete tatters a governing party in complete tatters. So now now yeah. do we introduce crippling self-doubt because we go ahead. Cuz I don't want to be too sanguine about this. I can't understand how they get from A to B. I don't understand how they get from their current position, everybody's recalcitrant and dug in to passing the build back better agenda, but they have to. So they will. But I don't see how but they have no choice. They have to. They must. Abe. But I don't know why. Abe. So, how so about you this assume analogy? they will. But, yeah. but you know, a lot of our colleagues on the right are are much less sanguine about this. They think a deal is in the offing. They will get it. It will transform the American social compact forever. And we're just whistling past the graveyard by observing all these machinations that won't matter in the end of the day. And we should leave open the possibility that they're right. I just don't see how. Well, okay. that's why I gave it a, a six on a scale of a one to 10, with 10 being that, that, you know, that it definitely, that they definitely pass it. That was earlier in the week, but here, so yes. that, that's why I want to ask you this. Um, I actually have now, I, honest to God, forgotten what it was that I was going to ask you. Now, I'm Like really Steny mad. Hoyer, I'm hurt and disappointed. <laughs> uh, good. Well, you know, like Steny Hoyer, I'm, <laughs> I'm too old for my job. That happens. But listen, <laughs> okay. part of the reason why I, I, I feel like the first of all, I've been saying this for a month and a half. It gets harder every passing hour. Um, it got it, it got oh. measurably more difficult in the beginning <laughs> of October. It's only gotten worse. And every polling indication that we have out of Virginia suggests Democrats are going to be hit in the face. I remember what it was I wanted to ask Abe. So if we go back to Obamacare, OK, um, let's say. Next week, Tuesday in Virginia, the Republican Yunkin wins and the 
Democrat McAuliffe loses in a state that Biden won by 10. Uh, a result that wouldn't quite be as dramatic as the Republican Scott Brown winning Teddy Kennedy's Senate seat after Teddy Kennedy died uh, in at the beginning of 2010. Nonetheless, one thing that did happen is it worked like this. Obamacare passed the Senate in December of 2009, but the House had not yet passed it. And then the earthquake came. Scott Brown wins in Massachusetts. This means that the only vote that the that the Senate could take on uh, on Obamacare that would achieve cloture, that the Republicans could not filibuster, was the vote that the Senate took in December 2009. They couldn't go back to the well. They couldn't revise it. They couldn't do reconciliation where the, where the two bills come together and then you have to vote again. They couldn't do any of that. They just had to pass the Senate version of the bill. The House did not want to do this. Nancy Pelosi, who was then Speaker, didn't want to do it. She called it kitty care. She didn't like the Obamacare bill that came out of the Senate. But they had no choice because they realized it was now or never. It was going to be this or nothing. And that's the, that's the ironic part of what could happen on Tuesday, Abe, maybe. That uh, the victory of Yunkin, the Republican, in Virginia could, could be so terrifying to Democrats in the sense that they know they're toast. Everything is going the wrong way. They better just settle for half a loaf, which is exactly what they've been refusing to do all along. Yeah, maybe. It just I, I have a hard time thinking of how you overestimate the obstinacy of the progressives. Um, you know, I it's like it's hard for me to imagine them saying, Well, we quote, as a party are in trouble now. Uh, so therefore, this we it's it, we 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 need to get get our act together at this moment or never. Um, more likely, I see them thinking, well, this is what's going to happen if they keep if the Democrats keep running insufficiently progressive candidates. That too, and especially this emerging narrative, which is I, I think very unconvincing, but it's one that's beginning to you were beginning to hear from Democratic donors that the reason why Democrats are in trouble at all is because they haven't passed sweeping transformative legislation that they've been promoting forever and ever and ever. So, and there's probably something to it, but not nearly as much as Democrats are, are suggesting it is. Nevertheless, if that takes hold, then it'll convince them, well, look, the only reason why we lost is because we're not being progressive enough. Okay. So that's, that's very much like the Freedom Caucus. That's the, that's the idea that the problem with uh, let, you know, doing things legislatively to get them done to claim a win um, is that uh, it's a betrayal of uh, you know that if you if you if you didn't go that way and you stuck to principle, magically and mysteriously the the political will or the political support would come that what people feel is that you're you're, you're otherwise you're just being you know like a a panty waste and you know you got to be got to be tough and resolute and win and fight. Um, and and so that that is very much the weirdness of the Freedom Caucus. The in in during the Obama years, the one difference is that the Freedom Caucus was there to prevent things from happening, and then it got so interested in preventing things from happening that it started preventing things from happening that made no sense, like 
shutting down the government for no reason, that kind of thing. And as I keep saying, Democrats want to do things like the Freedom Caucus doesn't want to do things. So it fits their model, you know, to go extreme and the not doing things, including shutting the government down. The progressives but, want to do things. The progressives want government to spend money and do huge, big things. And yeah, maybe they'll be disappointed that it's not as much money as they wanted to spend. But surely it's better than nothing. The two, you know, one point seven five trillion is better than nothing. Right now they're acting like it isn't. But although Jayapal last night said that it would be, as you say, Christine, uh, I was. I mean, I'm just thinking that th- that's all correct. I agree with that. But I also think there's something more long term and strategic that the Progressive Caucus is is th- thinks they're doing. I'm not sure they're actually going to be able to pull it off. But it strikes me that. I, the other thing I've seen pop up recently in in uh, discussions of the caucus, the progressive caucus, is you know they're young, they're energetic, they are going to outlast some of the current Democratic leadership. The idea being like this is the new young blood. They've only been in Congress for a few years, most of them. So the idea being, we'll just let the Pelosi's and the you know the the oldsters will eventually retire and will take over. So they're biding their time in some ways, so that they will be able to get all those things. And of course, the media aids and abets them by you know uh, describing them as being like you know unlike Freedom Caucus types, progressives really feel bad if they have to vote against good things to do for the American people. It's really tough for them because they're just they care so much. So th- they actually are kind of coddled still by a by a press that agrees with them on policy matters but pretends not to so i'm not sure that they're even if they if they tank this and the republican wins in virginia and that changes the tone for the midterms some of those folks in that caucus have longer term strategies in mind and they are happy to see the system blown up and rebuilt from their point of view. And that's always been what they wanted. And if this is one way of getting there, I don't see why they would stop. Remember, only three of them, only three of them have to say no. We keep talking about this as though it is a collective decision. It's only a collective decision when Pelosi pulls the bill because she doesn't know who, which three or which 10 or which 20 are going to vote against it. But it only takes three. And remember, there's also the possibility that if something goes in the you know, something goes south in a different way, that three moderates could tank the bill. They could this is this is the wild card here. The wild card is Yunkin wins, McAuliffe loses if this happens. Now let's get wilder, because this is almost this is very unlikely to happen. But that Citarelli, the Republican, wins in New Jersey and Murphy, the Democrat, loses. Almost certainly not going to happen. But black swans do happen in elections. Um, the moderate. And to my, to my yes. consternation, to the point of mania, he, he, this uh, virtual unknown governor, the guy has no profile, is somehow running way ahead of the president of the United States in my state. If you believe the mom came out the other right. day, Joe Biden's job approval rating is at 43%. And uh, McAuliffe's trajectory directly parallels Joe Biden's job approval rating, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. Why would Murphy be running ahead of Joe Biden? Well, remember, Virginia, Virginia is a weird state because, you know, half of the people in northern Virginia work for the government. So they are they are more than uncommonly involved in governmental matters. They either work for the government or they work for, you know, for company, whatever that exists 
uh, as government offshoots and stuff like that. So they're very plugged in. That's that's why Virginia would more closely track in theory than New Jersey. But let's just say that somehow the black swan thing happens. What do the moderates do? I mean, there are what 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 are the what are the non ideological, not all that ideological Democrats do in that case? They just want to get along to go along. Biden wants them to vote for the bill. They'll vote for the bill. Biden doesn't want it, They won't vote for the bill. Pelosi tells them what to do, all of this. They could run scared. Again, you only need three of them to blow everything up. What if you're in a, what if you're in, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're Abigail Spamberger or, you know, in, and, and, uh, and your district goes, you know, like for Yunkin. And you want to win re-election next? What do you do? Where do you go? You've already seen. You've already. You're Abigail Spanberger. You, you know, you're in a you're in a kind of a, a very purple district in Virginia, and you've already said this caucus went crazy with defunding the police and all of that, and screwed us up in 2020, and you know we lost 15 seats in the House because of you crazy people. And now these crazy people have taken charge of everything and everything is going south, uh, you know, uh, for Democrats. Uh, wh- why would she be a party to the very vote that could not only oust her, but that she could say, look at this, we're going to lose 60 seats next year if this goes on this way? Well, that's Steph- just the scenario I'm offering. Steph, I think it's Stephanie Murphy who's a Democrat from Florida. She's, you know, blue dog, so moderate. Uh, she, you know, she said to Punchbowl News, she's like, look, they're, they're, the, they're playing politics. The Progressive Caucus is playing politics. It's very clear that that's what they're doing. And, you know, as she said, I still have to go back to my district. And so what I'm going to, you know, the, the progressives will have, she said, they have to own their righteousness. They're trading it for clean water, safe bridges, a decent commute, public transportation that works for people who can't afford cars. So the moderates are very clear, like, we're going to go back to our voters and say, sorry, we got nothing. And, you know, you can blame these crazies in our own coalition. But the point is, they're not going to be able to sell anything to their constituents in terms of what they're bringing back from Washington this go round. Um, but, you know, is, oh, sorry, sorry. But part of the public rejection of the party. Yeah. Yes. A huge chunk of it is the the crazy radical ideas. But um, it's also the incompetence. Right. It's also the inability to, to pass these things, uh, g- good and bad, um, the, 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 the craziness of tying the two together in the first place, the, the infrastructure and the, and the reconciliation. So, I mean, so there's, there are sort of competing motivations here because you'd want to at least show that you can get something done. Right. Well, that this, I think makes a key point about this 435 person body, the house of representatives. So Yuval Levin and we all these people, everybody has been saying lately that there's a certain class of congressmen who is not in Congress to be in Congress. They're in Congress to get on TV. They're in Congress to get on Fox or on MSNBC. Uh, this is their platform, uh, and they're using it you know, as the platform for them to be public celebrities. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether they pass things or they don't pay. If you're Matt Gates, it doesn't matter what your legislative record is. If you're Cory Bush, it doesn't matter what your legislative record is. Did you get things passed? Did you not? But there's a f- hundreds of other Congress members who are boring and have nothing to say and are, you know, like political professionals or political hacks or whatever. And that's all they have. All they have is they can say, 
I, I did this. I did that for you. I did this other thing for you. That's what I did. And if they're not in a competitive district, they still want that because they, they still you know want to go around and tell people that they did things for them. And they're now being dominated by these people who could give, who could do, who could give or take, you know, it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter whether or not, you know, legislation passes because they are driven by different incentives. And that's why I say, if you're one of these people, maybe you up and vote no on Build Back Better. Maybe, maybe you're like, I'm sorry, no. I'm going to go back to my voters and, you know, and Noah's been saying all week there's all this, like, relevant suggestions from the way Biden framed his speech yesterday and everything that Democrats are worried that they're looking fiscally irresponsible. Not just looking fiscally irresponsible, but looking fiscally irresponsible at the expense of pocketbook issues that are of, of much higher priority to voters than even hard infrastructure to say nothing of these, you know, nebulous aspirations for a new social contract that are in the Build Back Better agenda. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I, I highly doubt that, you know, some political hack from nowhere is going to be, you know, three of them are going to be the ones to tank the bill because they're worried that it's too profligate. But I, I wouldn't I, I, I we're, we we have now gotten to the point where nothing makes any sense they're all going to be asked to cast they're you're asking these democrats 40 of them are in districts that republicans had until 2018 right because 40 seats changed hands in 2018 um you're asking them oh maybe not i mean i don't know a lot of those seats came back in 2020 so i don't know what the number is but you're asking them to vote for 3 trillion dollars after they voted for 2 trillion dollars already Pretty much. That's what you're doing. So they're going to go back in 2022, maybe in competitive districts and say, hey, guess what I did? I spent, uh, you know, $5 trillion of your money. Reelect me. Don't you feel great? Look, isn't the economy in fantastic shape after I spent $5 trillion of your money? Maybe a bunch of them are not going to want to go back and say that. No one's focused on that. The media aren't focused on them. They claim that the moderates only make up nine votes, right? Because the moderate caucus that Josh Gottheimer used, claimed to be ahead of, only has nine members or something like that. But, I mean, you can presume that half of the Democratic caucus, you know, is basically just like get along to go along people. I, I don't. I mean, media is the dog that isn't barking here, literally, because they just kind of moved on from this yesterday as though it had never happened. It was yeah. very strange. The reaction to this, you talked about this earlier in the podcast, but the, the their desire to <clears throat> their behavior here has been uh, indicative of a desire to create narratives rather than to report on narratives. They're taught they have been, you know, cheerleading this effort as though it was, you know, they're really super close when they weren't. And now they're pretending as though this is just, you know, a, an unremarkable speed bump that barely even needs to be discussed, even though it's clearly in it signals uh, intractable in, in divisions within the caucus that they just don't even want to report on. The, their, their efforts to create and shape narratives here that don't exist suggests a lot about the state of play and the the likelihood that we've been saying, although I am, I'm trying to leave open the possibility that I'm wrong, the likelihood that these divisions just cannot be mended. But I, you know, it just... 
I don't get it because it's pathetic from a media standpoint. Don't they feel burned? I mean, twice burned. You know, Look, having, I don't ha- think so. I don't. I don't I, think they do. They should, but I don't think they do right. because because uh, you know I have right here in front of me. Uh, where is this? I had it and now I've lost it. Punchbowl News, uh, my 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 new go to morning newsletter. Because on... God bless them, they're not sugarcoating this stuff, unlike the Times and Political but, Playbook and half but, a dozen other venues that are saying, "Oh, right. this is actually really good." Right. No, but Punchbowl News calls it a big whiff, but then says the following: Biden didn't ask them to vote for it. Uh. You know, they would have had a victory if Biden had only uh, asked them to vote for it. And then there's all this praise for Pramila Jayapal, why Jayapal has been successful. Whether you love her or hate her, you have to admit that Representative Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, has been very successful in exercising power. CPC wants to pass legislation, not overthrow their own leadership. The CPC is much bigger than the House Freedom Caucus ever was. That this uh, Jayapal is more effective than than the House Freedom Caucus because they stick to one goal at a time. They're wonderful. They're this, they're that. Let's just make clear what happened. The President of the United States went down to the Hill, said, pass this stuff. My presidency is at stake. At 1130, gave a speech that sounded as though he was claiming victory for a bill that that not only doesn't yet exist, that's the big back, the build back better bill, uh, doesn't exist and only had a framework and that the people who still are the thing, or the people who will kill it in the Senate still haven't said they support it. And then the Speaker of the House was going to have a vote on infrastructure and then she was and then she wasn't and no one knew what was going on. No one knew what the vote whip was and no one knew anything. And now, you know, then it's suddenly like, wow, that Pramila Jayapal, she's really good. That's not the story. The story is Casey Stengel was the manager of the New York Mets in his first year. The Mets went 40 and 120, and one day in September, frustrated with how absolutely awful this expansion team was, said, can't anybody here play this game? I mean, forget just if I were them, I would be in utter and complete despair. Uh, you know, I mean, it takes a bizarre kind of, I mean, every analogy we keep using, Charlie Brown and the football and Lucy and the football. Like, hey, by the way, I just have to say that, I mean, it's the kind of thing you say over and over again, but it bears mentioning today. Imagine the parties reversed in this role and then imagine what the media would do. If, if if this was the Republican Party, who had this kind of intractable, um, and, it's a threat and, to democracy, Abe. It's a threat oh, to democracy. Oh my, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a sh- you know, but also you know stories about how, uh, you know the 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 extremists uh, whipped up the fringe, and now they're going to reg- now they're they they're regretted because they in doing so they've destroyed their party. I mean, it would be endless. It would be it would be yeah. five stories on the cover of the, of the of the times. Yeah, as opposed to none. That said, it still looks bad. I mean, it doesn't look good, right? You know, if you're and you're Biden and you're at forty three percent, look, the uh, poll out this morning is from Navigator, which is a Democratic firm, has Biden ten points underwater, forty three approve, fifty three percent disapprove. So basically, I think we can now say that it is firmly fixed. Almost every poll has Biden somewhere 
a point or two above 40%. That's where he is. And what happened yesterday didn't help him. Well, in, in his saying... And we got 2% GDP growth in the third quarter. That's the other thing that happened. And let me just stop you for a minute, Abe, and talk to you about that. Because, again, in the world of the counterintuitive thinker, uh, and the world of opinion that you really want to take note of, because sometimes it disagrees with the conventional wisdom. I want to talk to you again about our friend David Bonson at the Bonson Group. I was excited and interested to hear what he was going to say about the GDP numbers, and he did not fail me because it's interesting. And I, this this came from his newsletter, the DC Today, the daily newsletter he puts out from the Bonson Group, the $3 billion financial management services firm that he runs uh, and this came out last night, real third quarter U.S. gross domestic product came in at 2% from the previous quarter versus an estimate of 3.5% and a Q2 read of 6.7%. The negative 2.4% decrease in autos was the largest contributor as supply chain issues for semiconductors and new vehicles lingered. As long as I and the market continue to see demand-side strength, positive economic growth is intact, meaning Let's not let's not look lose sight of the fact that the that two percent growth is still growth. Uh, he also points out it is key to note the difference between nominal gross of inflation and real net of inflation figures with GDP. Nominal GDP that's with gross plus inflation was seven point eight percent up, inclusive of inflation for the quarter. The dividend growth portfolio at TBG focuses on high free cash flow businesses that have pricing power for this very reason. Moderate inflation is less of an issue for companies if it can be effectively passed along with pricing power. Those companies that are less able to do this get, get the margin squeezed. Meaning, look, if there's inflationary growth and, you know, if inflationary pressures hit companies and they're strong enough uh, because of the products they sell that they can pass that along to customers, that's sort of bad macroeconomically, but not necessarily bad for companies if you're going to be an investor. This is the kind of thing you need to read and understand and understand the complexities in the market. That's the DC Today from David Bonson and his weekly newsletter, DividendCafe.com. Go to DividendCafe.com to sign up for these two newsletters from the Bonson Group, your antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management industry. All right. Uh, I was just going to add, John, because you were yeah. talking about you know Biden and how this makes him look. So in his saying, "Look, this makes or breaks my presidency." Uh, what happens today? Uh, in in Pelosi's saying, "Don't embarrass the president before he goes overseas." Um, don't you have to then accept the results of the of the situation you've set up, right? So does it only count if it if it made his presidency? Did it, did, would, it, would it only count if they didn't embarrass him before he goes overseas? I mean, you have to live with the framework, right? So I guess, I guess this broke it. I guess, <laughs> no, I guess he has been embarrassed, or, no, we or get not. The participation trophy. Like, there's this weird way yeah. in which it's like, well, he, he said it and he meant it, and then it didn't work out. It's like, but at least he said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's like when you know you're having a fight with your kids, and your kid bursts into tears and says, "I hate you." Well, your kid doesn't really hate you obviously so you know he can say it it's like this is the make or break moment this is the make or break moment for my presidency and then five minutes later he's like can you take me to the park you know like <laughs> i don't know that's exactly <laughs> i don't know i mean again it doesn't help on an ice cream yeah it doesn't help 
he could use a little help. He could like do a little better in the polls. Okay, but this goes back to something I think Noah, you and you had pointed out early on uh, in his presidency is that everyone pitches things about Biden as if they happen to him. He's not really an he's not really an actor in this drama. It's like all these terrible things happen to him. Afghanistan happened to him. And when when you know when people like us point out that no, actually here's a series of decisions he made that led to this utter debacle, um, it's poo poo. No no no, it's just it's just so terrible. So like the bad jobs numbers will. The Delta variant happened to this administration. What else could they do? You know, the supply chain crisis. It's getting tiresome. People don't believe it. Regular people in the real world look at what's going on and say, nobody seems to be in charge here. Yeah, I mean, but it is true to a certain extent. His presidency is floundering. His job approval rating is cratering at a astounding pace. I mean, if he's saying my presidency is on the line here, there's a whole bunch of objective metrics we can apply to suggest he's right well, let's let let then let's let's think that through. Was he right because it actually would matter if these bills passed? Like they would, his uh, his approval rating would go up. I mean, I think it might a little bit, like a maybe a point or two. Um, I think saying everything's on the line and then not succeeding has a worse downward pressure than succeeding with that argument would on the upside which is why it's so deranged to have made it in the first place. You said this yesterday and you keep saying this. He keeps upping the stakes. He keeps saying, this is the most important thing that's ever happened. This is how I get to be LBJ. But it's all he's, he's, he's pushing in all these chips with a terrible hand that he knows he can't play and then you know pushes in all the chips and then folds. Okay, so I sent, you guys, I sent you guys this clip yesterday from, from Austin Powers where Austin Powers is playing, you know, is playing against Robert Wagner, who is number two. And Robert Wagner gets a 17 at the blackjack table, and he takes a hit. And the dealer says, are you sure you want to take a hit, sir? And Robert Robert Wagner says, I like to live dangerously. And then he gets a four, and he hits 21. And then Austin Powers is playing. He He has a five. And he says... I'll stay. And the dealer says, sir, you have a five. <laughs> you really want to stand on a five? And Austin Powers says, I too like to live dangerously. And then the dealer gets a 20. And of course, Austin Powers loses. Uh, that's sort of like what you're talking about. Only the difference here is that you you think that Biden is bluffing. What if Biden thought that five was a good hand? What if he thought that saying this is the make or break moment of my presidency was a really good argument? Not a bluff. Well, then we're back to where we ended last yes. yesterday's podcast. <laughs> yes, that's correct. And we don't need to go there again. But we do need to talk to you about Mac Weldon. Okay. Uh, if you're a listener and you're and you're a male or a not a not birthing person or something, but you're a busy guy, stop thinking about what to wear and just embrace the radically efficient Mac Weldon daily wear system. The daily wear system is a selection of clothes rooted in smart design made with performance fabrics and built to work together from breathable t-shirts and polos to stylish button-ups and shorts, underwear and beyond. Mac Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, or play or wherever summer takes you or fall or winter. Uh, for the ultimate lazy Sunday, their ace sweatshorts have modern tailoring and pair perfectly with their ultra soft, ultra graded Pima tees. For weekend travels, both near and far, into warm climes, their silver knit polo and radius shorts are the perfect high tech, highly packable combo. 
So buy some time with the Mack Weldon Daily Wear system. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash commentary and enter promo code commentary. That's MacWeldon.com slash commentary, promo code commentary. For 20% off, Mac Weldon, radically efficient, efficient, excuse me, efficient, radically efficient wardrobing. Um, so uh, Biden is off in Rome. Apparently the Pope didn't want to be photographed live being with him i don't know god only knows what that's about that that was that's pretty weird he's gonna go off to this glasgow uh summit and um and we are sitting here but the entire political world doesn't care what's going on with biden in europe i don't care if you see headlines i don't care all anybody cares about is virginia that's all anybody cares about and this fox poll yesterday which has yunkin up eight 5346, I believe. Well, that's seven. So I guess my math. This is why I got a 610 on the math SAT. Uh, so um, people are going, nah, it can't be true. Can't be Jack. How could it be true? But here's the thing about the Fox poll, or two things about the poll. Number one, the Fox poll nationally has been very, has actually been kind. Forget that Fox is Fox. Like Fox News has a has a polling uh you know, does polling. And the polling has actually been kind to Biden relatively this year. If you want to look at a pollster that finds that Biden's approval rating is in the high 40s, low 50s for much of the year, you go to Fox. Um, That's one interesting thing. So this is not a poll that is being designed to be hostile to Democrats or to, and the other thing, of course, is one of two things, one of which is Republicans have not been answering the phone with pollsters. And they've been undercounted by pollsters. So the poll, that's what pollsters tell us, that they've been having trouble reaching Republicans. So two things could be happening. Number one, uh, McAuliffe is in real trouble because Republicans aren't answering the phone and he's still <laughs> down by seven. And the other is that Republicans are so excited and enthusiastic that when the pollster calls this time, they want to answer and they want to tell the pollster that they're voting for Yunkin. Either way... Either this is just a terribly executed poll or McAuliffe is toast. We won't know until Tuesday. But, um, you know, assuming that the poll isn't made up, and as I say, it's a, a, it's a credible poll, and B, has not been hostile to Democrats this year, um, you know, and then... Forget the polling. All you have to do is listen to what they're saying. Democrats are terrified. They're scared to death. Terry McAuliffe is calling... Glenn Youngkin, a book banner, uh, mostly a book banner who, who against African-American authors. He's kind of racist, probably. Oh. Joe Biden says he's an extremist. He has, he has the same ideology as the people who sacked the Capitol on January 6th. Eric Swalwell is saying the only reason why he wants to ban books is because he can't say the N-word out loud. Literally tweeted that last night. They're scared to death. And they should be, because Virginia is a blue state. This is not 2009. Republicans haven't won that place in a real long time. <clears throat> on a statewide level. Jerry, Terry McCall is virtually an incumbent. I mean, yeah, once removed, but he's got an incumbent's heir. They know him. He's a known quantity. And to lose in these in this environment would, would hit them real hard, as they should. They should see it as the water receding from the shoreline ahead of 2022. Well, and they're they're just they're losing because they're lying to the public. They're lying to the people that they want to govern, like outright lying. And it's not just calling the other candidate a racist, which is a, which is 
totally classic Democratic playbook move. It's lying to the parents who are showing up at school board meetings and who are writing letters to the editor and worried about things like critical race theory. They say, oh, that's just that's a dog whistle. It doesn't happen. It's not being taught in schools. Meanwhile, Ibram X. Kendi is giving some keynote address at a major Virginia state conference next week. I mean, these people are lying. And you can you can look through the textbooks that are used and the things that teachers who love critical race theory say about it online on their social media. It is everywhere. So the idea that they're saying to parents who are concerned about this because they heard or saw a worksheet their kid brought home from elementary school or their kid said, oh, today I was in the oppressor group and I had to talk about my privilege triangle, whatever, privilege pyramid. The parents are like, what the heck? They go, they listen to Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe tells them what you're seeing isn't happening. It's just not yeah, happening. That's the other thing is <clears throat> McAuliffe is saying, oh, this is, he's a culture warrior. He's trying to bring culture wars to the classroom as opposed to noticing the culture wars having appeared in the classroom and objecting to it, which is kind of the Trumpian way of, you know, we're, we're deflecting the very same criticism you're receiving back onto your opponent in the exact same language in the same terms. The education issue is not biting in New Jersey. And it's probably the reason why Murphy's going to pull it out because he's still trusted on education. He's not trusted on the pandemic. He's not trusted on taxes. He's not trusted on the economy. The education issue has really bitten hard in Virginia. And if Youngkin pulls it out, we're going to be privy to a year of the uh, in, an education election, as though Congress has anything to do with that. But that's all anybody's going to talk about. Well, and, yeah, and they're going to talk about it in part because Democrats are handling it so badly. Like, they're falling. I mean, in a weird way, that's why this is this this election is so important because they will not be able to talk about it correctly or in a way that does what Christine's talking about, which is to say, we understand par- parents' concerns uh, about education, and we're in Washington to defend ordinary people against you know to to do what ordinary people need, and they can't say that. It's very interesting, and I think encouraging that. The main focal points of the revolutionary convulsions of 2020 are absolutely those points that are now the being pushed back on by the general population. Uh, uh, defunding police and uh, anti-racism uh, theorizing and, and education. Right? Couple I mean, that with Joe Biden saying, "Oh, the Build Back Better agenda is fiscally responsible, and we're gonna we're gonna finally, you know, cut the deficit and the debt, and we're gonna get rid of inflation for you guys." I mean, this is all pointing in the direction, and and Republicans are irrelevant here. They are not relevant to this conversation. They are disorganized. They are ununified. They're at war with each other, and they don't have political power. And yet, their talking points are finding their way into Democratic mouths. How could you not be encouraged by that? How could you not find that? in entropic condition that benefits you based only on the landscape shifting beneath the feet of Democrats to be something that's, that's good. The fatalism that, that is so pronounced on the conservative side to me is unwarranted to that degree insofar as we're seeing an organic movement in the direction of conservative ideology that conservatives have not engineered. Well, that so I think that actually it's a really good point, especially for for our friends on the right who are despairing, because I think their despair grows out of having, you know, the, endured as the entire country did the Trump years and the paranoia and the lies and the gaslighting and all that stuff, forgetting that. And yes, a lot of Americans embrace that and embrace those tactics and still don't think elections can actually be uh, legitimately won. But we still are supposed to be the the 
the conservatives are still supposed to have more faith in the American people, in the regular average American person having enough common sense and wisdom to, to structure a life in a community for themselves that's going to work better than anything that can come from a government bureaucrat. And that's a bit of what, that's where I think the hope is this shows that. People are really willing to stand up and, and fight for what they believe, particularly when it comes to their children. That's a good thing. Okay, I want to take a, a journey back to the early to mid-1970s. Um, since there are so many analogs and parallels to that time, uh, you, people will remember that in 2019, Kamala Harris uh, basically put herself in the position to become the vice presidential nominee by going at Joe Biden at a debate on the fact that he voted for forced, uh, voted against or spoke against forced mandatory busing, pu- uh, public school busing that Kamala Harris said had helped her as a kid in Oakland. Um, this CRT stuff, this school school board, school level stuff, is eerily analogous to the populist revolt against busing in cities all across the country, including the fact that the parents who said, I don't want you putting kids on my kids on a bus and sending them an hour away to perform a social experiment on integration when I want my kid to be able to walk five minutes to school and walk five minutes back home from school, I moved to this neighborhood for that reason. This my, my parents can go pick up the kid at school, bring lunch. It doesn't matter. I don't want you doing this or bringing kids who don't live in my neighborhood into my neighborhood to perform this social experiment. They were called racists. It was all dog whistling. All of liberal opinion said this was terrible and all progressive thought supported this. And busing was killed in the United States. Mandatory forced integrative busing died in the United States because of parental revolts in cities across the country. And even now, people can say this was racist dog. They can say whatever it is that they want to say. But what is going on with critical race theory and curriculum revision and transgenderism and this stuff in schools has a very weird analog to this, which is stop using my children as your social engineering tools. They're my kids. They're not your kids. Leave them alone or we will make your public lives miserable. We will vote you out of office. We will scream at you at school board meetings. We will, you know, we will have marches in Canarsie. We will do whatever it is that we have to do. Leave my kids alone. And people are playing with fire when they start playing with kids. And particularly if they start playing with kids in political ways that do not conform with the politics of the neighborhoods and the boroughs and the counties that people live in. Loudoun County was until very recently in Virginia, was, it wasn't exactly a rural county, but it was a, it was a hard Republican county. You know, one of the biggest employers in Loudoun County was a prison it was a redneck place. It's, you know, it got turned into an exurb, got way more populous and all of that. But this idea that somehow Loudoun County is a place where they should be performing extreme social engineering in schools, it's almost as though they summoned this upon themselves. They summoned this reaction. This is not the place for it. Berkeley might be the place for it. Cambridge might be the place for it. You know, you know, wherever else, the Upper West Side might be the place for it, not Loudoun County. Um, and by the way, not that, 
you know, as we know from George Packer and his uh, astonishing piece about public school in Brooklyn that he published in The Atlantic a couple of years ago, even progressive, you know, self-glorifying, self-loving Harvard punk journalists like George Packer suddenly don't like it when their kids are being forced into affinity groups and separated by race and told that achievement doesn't matter and stuff like that. Because, of course, that's fine for the kids in Canarsie, but not for my kids in in Park Slope or uh, Prospect Heights or wherever it is that, you know, he he chooses to stay in the ground by living. So I, I'm just saying, as as a matter of course, this is a very interesting set of populist circumstances that Democrats have generated against themselves. They're winning. I still think they're winning. Like, it's very hard to, to, to push back against this cultural onslaught. But Abe is absolutely right. The elites are not the are not the battleground now. It's almost like we lost. <laughs> we lost this fight in the elites. Um, and now it's really the people themselves who are who are gonna have to defend their own, and they're doing it. And the same way that you, when you're cooking in your kitchen, you can make restaurant quality meals if you have the right tools. And you know where you get the right kitchen tools from made in. Because if you're serious about cooking, you should invest in your kitchen tools. Maidens cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. These uh, products, these professional quality cookware products are for those who love to cook. Maiden sources the finest materials and partners with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Maiden products are made to last. And they offer a lifetime guarantee. They have 40,000 five-star reviews. And their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Made in. Better cookware for better meals. And right now, Made in is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with promo code COMMENTARY. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Made in products. Go to madeincookware.com slash commentary and use promo code COMMENTARY for 15% off your first order. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware dot com slash commentary use promo code commentary uh so we gotta go uh anybody have fun weekend plans briefly before we go we're, we're not doing fun weekend plans <laughs> hang, hang. i'm taking all the kids and their friends to a okay. wizard's game so whatever that's good. The Celtics, okay so i'm excited <laughs> okay no go ahead yeah um <clears throat> so you, t- you talked about this navigator poll and i just want to you know just highlight the extent to which democrats are hostage to their boosters in the press. So this Navigator poll shows something that we've been talking about for a long time. A couple of, uh, earlier this week, um, Jill Benison and Neil Newhouse, two pollsters, had this polling of independent uh, voters that said, you know, coupled their concerns, their deepening financial concerns with their own personal economies with growing fiscal profligacy in Washington and how Washington isn't responsive to their needs. You talked about this Navigator poll, Democratic group, uh, shows essentially the same thing, demonstrates that, People, especially independents, but even Democrats and everybody in the middle of the electorate doesn't believe that the Build Back Better agenda has anything to do with jobs or the economy. And the disconnect is deepening Democratic troubles. And John Harwood at CNN, um, former New York Times reporter, says, or, quote, not focused on the economy, unquote, just means they haven't gotten the price of gas and other stuff down. Just that's that. it. All they got to do is, you know, just just you, you get a couple of points off the off the gas price and everybody's going to come around. You know, they're basically that voters are idiots. They're stupid. They don't get it. You just have to communicate better. 
You need a better rhetorical strategy. If this is the advice they take, or they convince themselves to take, the the, the legislative disaster is worse than even I anticipate it to be. I mean, it's just a fascinating thing to say, if not, you know, just gas, it's just gas prices. Gas prices destroy. No, that doesn't have anything at all prices, to do with this administration and gas, its war on pipelines. <laughs> gas prices destroyed the Democratic. Gas prices were one of the three things that destroyed the Democratic Party for twenty years. Uh, you know, no, nobody should be under any illusions that gas prices are the sorts of things that you can easily and gimmicks that were introduced to try to. Alt- to create alternative paths to energy sufficiency and independence in the late 1970s. Solar, wind, all this sound familiar? Welcome to the Jimmy Carter presidency, everybody. But it's fine, John, because crime is, is okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay, so Christine's going to a Wizards game. Uh, I'm seeing, uh, I'm amazed because I'm actually going to get to see my daughter in a play. Uh, they're actually letting vaccinated parents in. This is very exciting. Uh, uh, so seeing her for the first time in two years in in, in a play, one of her favorite things to do. Um, Abe, you? You know better than to ask me that. Okay, that's true. I know better. Well, he won't be doing that, exercise. It doesn't mean he's not doing stuff. It doesn't mean he's not doing stuff. <laughs> Noah? I have two young children and it's Halloween, so. Oh, of that's course. It. It's Halloween. Halloween. Sunday's Halloween. All weekend. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, yes, Halloween. Uh, I got a notice around my my, my apartment building. Uh, Halloween canceled uh, because of COVID. Really? Do you know what the case rate is in New York City? Bazizzes. Nothing. I bought pounds of candy. I don't care if they try to cancel yeah. it. I the, the rumor on the streets is that it's on. Kids are planning to come. So Of course okay. it is. <laughs> okay. It's anyway. Childless. You know, infant adults who who insist upon imposing their preferences on your children go screw. I don't know, but they also, they, you know, in New York, you, you know, it's it, you go around Halloween weekend in New York, and it's grownups who all look like they're ten years old, not 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 kids who look like grownups. Anyway, thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Monday for Abe, Noah, and Christina. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.